your neighbor and say, I'm glad you're here. Can you do that? <clears throat> Praise the Lord. It's so good to see all of you here today. On <clears throat> Did you know today is the first day of March? The first day of March. It's amazing. Is, is spring coming March? Yes? No? Well, it's going to get warmer. It's going to get warmer. Amen? Amen. Amen. I heard it's going to be 90 degrees one time next week. So uh, I don't know if they were predicting the temperature of heaven or not, but uh, I tell you what, someone asked me this morning if the Lord was picking up a busload of people to take them to heaven, I'd be the first one on. And all God's people said, by the way, how many of you are ready to go to heaven? Would you raise your hand and say, praise the Lord. Amen. Heaven is a wonderful place. And uh, we just thank God for his goodness. I do want you to have prayer for my hero friend. And uh, would you come out here, Amber and Joel? Come, come on here. I want you to have a, this. They're getting ready to start intense chemo treatment. This guy is a war hero. He fought in Desert, Desert Storm. He fought uh, also, he was, just came back from Afghanistan. Give this man, this is a war hero. Give him a big hand. Amen. Every Sunday, I'm going to pray for you. These, these precious people, they love the Lord. You may be seated. This guy right here, did you know that he's a pastor too? He is a pastor. He really is. And not only that, he's a great, yes, you are. You're a pastor. And he's a tremendous Bible teacher. And uh, he loves the Lord. And he is our worship leader here. And boy, Betty was so nervous when you went to Afghanistan. She said, Tim, we got to pray him back. We got to pray. And we did. We prayed and we got you back. But we weren't expecting. He's got a lymphoma cancer and he's starting chemo treatment. And would you pray for him? Would you pray that God would restore his health and bring him back to us? Uh, he's a tremendous, I love to hear you sing. I love you always sing from your heart. I love how you lead the, the, the congregation and worship leading. And <clears throat> I want you to know, you're getting ready to go through some rigorous treatments. And this congregation, it, we're going to pray for you. So would you just extend your hand forward and pray with me? Pray for him. Pray for a healing. Father, we pray in the wonderful name of Jesus that this cancer would be eradicated from this young man's body. Father, we thank you for his beautiful wife, Amber, and his wonderful family, Lord. I know the kids are concerned. And Father, he is young, and he has got many years of life before him. And we pray in the wonderful name of Jesus, and may your, through your stripes, Lord, you tell us that we are healed. And Father, we pray that you would just heal this man. And Father, we pray, give him strength to go through these chemo treatments. And Father, help him, lift him up, bless him. In the wonderful name of Christ our Savior, and all God's people said, amen. God bless you. you. I love you, buddy. <clears throat> Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And we're praying for Jim and Jim's family. And Jim, is that you right there? Right. God bless you, Jim. Good to see you here today and your whole family. Stand up, buddy. Go ahead. Pray for them.
Thank you, Jim. I appreciate it. Jim, I, I thought about it. I thought about this morning when I woke up and I said, Ann is having her first worship service in heaven this morning. And can you imagine the shouting and the praising? And, and can you imagine Wednesday she went home suddenly? We were not expecting this. This is, this, she was battling pneumonia and she had some things and she was getting over it and doing better. Then all of a sudden, Ann uh, just went home to be with the Lord. It, her body had been just really, the chemo treatments just really kicked her in. And uh, she had blood clots and pneumonia, and she just really, really had gone through a lot. But let me tell you something, her faith was always strong. She'd always say, Pastor Tim, I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid, whatever happens, I'm not afraid of death. Uh, she says, I know, she'd always says, I know exactly where I'm gonna go. And uh, Wednesday, the sounds of this world faded out, and she heard a new sound, and she heard the singing of heaven. She breathed celestial air for the first time, but the most marvelous thing, she saw Jesus standing at the end of her bed said, Anne, we're going home. And she was thrilled, and she placed her little hand in the hand of Jesus, and they walked out of this world of trials and tribulations and walked into the joyous kingdom of God. Friends, let me tell you something. Heaven is a marvelous place. Jesus said this, I have not seen, neither has ear heard, the marvelous things that I have prepared for my children. All we can do is get glimpses of the greatness of heaven in the scripture, and we walk by faith. But that day is gonna come when we too are gonna step out of this world and walk into the presence of God. And oh, what a happy day that'll be. Amen? Amen. Thank God for his salvation. Give the Lord, give him the praise in the house of God. Give him the praise. Give him the praise. We have a celebration service this coming Saturday for Anne. And uh, thanking God for her life. And that will be at 12 o'clock noon will be visitation with a family. You can come by and hug their neck. And then at, that's between 12 and 1. And then the memorial service will start at 1 o'clock. And then we have a reception uh, right after that morning service, uh, that service for that memorial service. So we encourage you, pray for the family that God would be with them and comfort them uh, through this time. And Jim, we love you. And uh, we love your wonderful family, and we're asking God's mercy and grace uh, to be poured upon you. And thank you, Jim. We love you. Today, I want to speak to you on our first sermon series called Drowning. And uh, I've had my share of drowning experiences in life. And I'm speaking on drowning because the, the most important thing is that you can be rescued from your drowning experience. And the Bible says in our text in 1 Kings 19.4, I want to speak to you on the subject, the first one on the subject of drowning in the month of March, and that is drowning in depression. In fact, 1 Kings 19.4 is a little story about Elijah, and this is what it says. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you for 
a time of celebration. We celebrate you, the giver of life. We thank you that, that this world is not all there is. Father, we thank you that heaven is a beautiful place. It's a city bustling with people. And Father, I pray, cause us to know, Lord, that no matter what we go through in this life, we have hope in Jesus Christ. We always have you to lift us. We thank you for this marvelous time to come together with the family of God, that we would lift each other up in prayer and help and strength. Now, Father, we'll pray that you bless. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Drowning is a dramatic and a fearful experience, and I can say that because in 2006, my dad and I, my dad just recently had lost his wife with cancer and so I went with him to Michigan, Marquette, Michigan, and, and we were about three miles from Lake Superior. And uh, that one day, I told my dad, I said, Dad, it's a warm day. It was 65 degrees for Michigan. That was pretty warm. I said, let's go out by Lake Superior. And as you well know, if you go out far enough, even in the middle of the summer, you'll see big chunks of ice still floating around. It's a very cold, cold lake all year round. I told my dad, I said, let's, let's just go to Lake Superior. The water's crystal clear. In fact, you can just put a cup in and drink out of it. It's so beautiful and so clear. And so my dad and I, we went, and that's my favorite place where my mom loved to go. And uh, we went there, and my brother had this unique skiing tube, and it was very expensive. My dad told me he paid about seven or eight hundred, seven to $800 for it, and it was... It had design where you could lay on it and you can go behind a speedboat and you can stand on it if you could, you know, and uh, it was really great. He says, take that along with you because the waves were really high that day in Lake Superior. He said, you can <clears throat> ride the waves like a surfer. I'm like, yeah, right. So uh, <clears throat> we went and uh, we got on the, on the lake and uh, my dad pulled an old chair out and he had his uh, chair on the sand and and I, I just, I love cold water. It feels good. So I, I went out there a ways and uh, I started swimming a little bit. And I took that raft with me. And it wasn't long before I looked up and that raft was floating back out in Lake Superior. And the first thing I thought about was my brother's um, surfing thing. And I, I, was, I was like panicking. I thought, oh my goodness, this thing, this thing's getting away. And so I started to swim after it as far as I can. And every time I'd get so close to it, just inches away, the current kept taking it out further. And I'd swim a little further, and that thing kept moving out. It was going faster than I could swim. And so I kept going and going, and pretty soon I realized that I was in extremely cold water. And then something happened as I went out far enough, there's something about Lake Superior that has this undercurrent that can pull you under. And my body had become almost like paralyzed because I was so cold. The current began to pull me down, and immediately it was like somebody grabbed me by the ankles and pulled me underneath the water. And it kept pulling me down and pulling me down. And immediately I began to think, I've got to get out of this. 
because I was under that cold water and I could feel my brain freezing. I could feel my arms tingling. It was like someone was jabbing me with knives. The, I, the water was so cold and it was paralyzing me and I was losing my strength. But I remember as I went down and down, I remember the panic that I began to feel as I began to think if I take in more oxygen, I'll take in water. And I knew once I opened my mouth and expanded my lungs, it would fill me with water and I would die quickly. And I was going under. And it was the worst feeling in all the world. I remember thinking to myself, I remember this. In fact, I was still pastor of this church then. I kept thinking, this is going to be how I die. And I was so pulled down. And at the very second, I remember my face felt like it was going to bust because I needed oxygen so bad. I remember my lungs were in pain. My, I, was, I was at the point where I was ready to just say, let it go. Just breathe in the water. And I was right at the point, and all of a sudden, I saw my wife's face under that water. Now, she wasn't under there with me. But I saw her face, and as she said, Tim, and as soon as I saw her face, it's like the adrenaline kicked in, and I fought with everything that I had in me, and my, I felt like I was going to bust even before I broke to the top, and I fought, and I fought, and I fought, and finally, I could see the water, and I remember opening my mouth even before I broke water, and I coughed, and I brought my head above the water, and it felt so good to breathe, but yet I still felt that pull again. And I remember hearing my dad screaming. My dad had thought I, I had already died, and I remember him screaming, and I remember him saying, Tim, Tim. And I remember looking, and I could see, he couldn't see me, but I could, my face was just barely on top of the water, and I could see my dad running toward the car, because I know he was going for the phone. He thought I had died. And I remember breathing and fighting, breathing and fighting. And I said, forget the raft. And I slowly paddled my way. And my dad could see me coming. And he told me, we're never swimming in this lake again. You about gave me a heart attack. Both of us almost died today. But when I got to the water, my body was trembling. My body was blue. And I got back and I told Dad, I said, Dad, I really didn't think I was going to make it. It's a terrible thing. It's a terrible thing to feel like you're going to drown. When I thought about this series for the month of March, I thought about life. There are many things that come into our life that is very much like the waters, dangerous waters that come around us and that pull us down. In fact, King David said, oh, there are torrents of water that flooded over me and I thought I would never survive. Job said, oh, the waters that encompassed me were so deep, I began to lose heart and lose soul. Through this series, we want to speak on the five dangerous waters that can take you to the bottom of life. And the very first one that can engulf you and really take away the quality of your life, and that is depression. 
I want to begin by pointing out that drowning in depression is not a new thing because we who live in this very fast-paced, hectic, stress-filled lives of the 21st century, we're not the first to endure it. It's been around for thousands of years. We call it the blues or we call it a slump or a feeling gloomy. It's a devastating feeling to find yourself caught in the pool, the downward pool of depression. But whatever title you give it, depression is the most widespread form of emotional illness. It's been called the common cold of emotional disorders. Statistics say that each one of us have a one in 10 chance of becoming severely depressed. And all of us have our regular skirmishes with depression in its mildest form. And we should also understand that depression is not always easy to cope with. It's, you just can't ignore it because it hurts too much. It can take you to dark places, places of anxiety that can cause you to sink in the waters of hopelessness and despair. Doctors been trying to treat me. I have an anxiety gag, anxiety disorder issue, and I, I have anxiety attacks. Sometimes I wake up 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning in a cold sweat and a total panic attack. My heart palpitates, and I think the whole world is coming to an end. The most devastating, the most crippling thing that you can experience is acute a panic attacks and depression. In fact, studies of more than 11,000 individuals found depression to be more physically and socially disabling than arthritis and diabetes and lung disease and chronic back problems and hypertension. But there seems to be a stigma attached to depression. Many people think that if a person is walking in a close relationship with God and making progress as a Christian, they will never suffer the blues. And I'm here to tell you that's not true. You can be a believer and be filled with Scripture and still drown under the pool of depression. The truth is, if you're normal and you love God deeply, there are still going to be days, sometimes weeks, maybe even seasons when you wrestle with this issue of depression. That does not mean that you're not a spiritual person or a good person. It just means that you are a real person. Amen? In fact, over many years, great servants have suffered from the drowning experience in depression. Bible records facts that Moses and Jeremiah went through times of deep despair and found themselves, like I was in Superior, pulled down by the current of depression. Job did as well at the point of being suicidal. In fact, listen to Job's anxiety-filled words in Job chapter 2. He said, let the day perish wherein I was born, and the night in which it was said, there is a man-child conceived, for my sighing cometh before I eat, and my roarings are poured out like the waters above me. For the thing which I greatly feared is come upon me, and that which I was afraid of is coming to me. I was not in safety, neither had I rest, neither was I quiet, yet trouble came. But notice that even with his constant, deep, agonizing depression. Job in 1 verse 22 says, in all of this, Job did not sin. So the Bible teaches that depression is not always related to sinful actions. And church history underscores this truth because many great faithful servants of our Heavenly Father struggled with this emotional illness, struggled with the downward pull 
of drowning in depression. Martin Luther, the great reformer, fought with depression on and off his entire life. And in the year 1527, Martin Luther wrote this, for more than a week I was close to the gates of death and hell. I trembled in all of my members. Christ was wholly lost. The content of the depression was always the same, the loss of faith that God is good and that he is good to me. The famous preacher who I love to study from the 1800s, and that was Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He was called the Prince of Preachers, pastor of the Metropolitan Baptist Church in London, who God used to light the fires of a 19th century revival moment, struggled so severely with depression that he was forced to be absent from his pulpit for two or three months out of the year. In fact, in 1866, he told his congregation of his struggle, and he said this, I'm the subject of depressions of spirit so fearful that I, th that I hope none of you ever get to such extreme wretched wretchedness as I go through. He explained that during his depression, every mental and spiritual labor had to be carried under the protest of the spirit. John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, J.B. Phillips, one of the great theologians of our day, Rick Warren from Saddleback, suffered from depression. So despair is not always linked to sin. Mature Christians can suffer from depression, and Christianity doesn't always equal great, great levels of happiness. Now, this sermon is not a sufficient platform this morning to deal with a subject as complex as chronic depression because there is a physical problem with depression for some folk which is caused by a biochemical imbalance and it can be treated effectively with medication and I'm firm, a firm believer that sometimes these old brains need a little something to kick it in gear, amen? But I think that in our time together this morning, we can find some basic tools for dealing with the more common form of depression that many of us deal with due to our stress-filled lifestyle. And we can find these tools by looking at the biblical record of another godly man who almost drowned in depression. This man's name in the Bible is called Elisha, Elijah. He's one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament. He was a great man of God, and he lived in a day where the rulers of Israel were very wicked, the king and the queen. You've heard their names before, Ahab and Jezebel. They were the leaders of the nation of Israel, and they hated Jehovah God, and they decided that they would set up idols to the worship of Baal. And Baal was nothing more than a form of witchcraft. And they would set up these idols of these goat heads. And they would encourage people to worship Satan, to worship the devil, the opposite of our holy God. And they led an entire nation into darkness, into witchcraft. And Elijah was a man of God that was vexed because of the evil culture in which he lived. And because the people of God turned against the Lord God of heaven, God held the rain and brought drought and dust and death to the nation of Israel. Elijah challenged Ahab and all of the 850 false prophets to a public contest on Mount Carmel, and he basically told all of these false gods, 
We're going to meet on the top of this mountain, and we're going to, we're going to have a contest, and, and we're going to pray that God would send fire from heaven and to burn the altar to prove that he is the God of Israel. And so the 850 Baal worshipers and the false prophets got together, and they cut themselves. They screamed and yelled, and they called on Baal to, to burn up the altars, but nothing happened. And then Elijah stood up and he, he said, I'll tell you what, we've got wood on our altar, but bring barrels of water, tons of water, and, and just drench this place full of water. And then we're going to call for the fires of heaven to drop from the sky to prove that Jehovah God is, is who he says he is. And, and they, as, they, as they prayed, the Bible says that the, the heavens opened up and fire fell from heaven and it lapped up the water and burned the wet wood. And it was a miracle. And the Bible says 800 150 of those false prophets fell on their faces and said, Baal is not God, but Jehovah God is God. And they gave him glory. Then Elijah said, all you guys are going to be executed for leading an entire nation into debauchery. And it was a great victory. Ahab was astounded when he saw the fires of heaven fall. He knew right there he was worshiping the wrong God. And Ahab said, wait till I get back and tell Jezebel about this act of God. The Bible says that Elijah ran in front of the chariot of Ahab, and, and it was about a 17-mile trip. And Ahab ran because they were going to go back and tell Jezebel, look what God has done. God has slain your false prophets. He has brought down the altars of Baal. It is God who is the real true God. And as they got there, Elijah waited to hear the response, and he was expecting Jezebel to fall on her face and say, oh, God is the true God, Jehovah God. It was the opposite. She put out a death warrant. She says, I pray I die myself if you're not dead by the same time tomorrow. And she says, I'm going to have the men to kill you. The Bible says that when Elijah heard how this wicked, vile woman has now declared death upon Elijah. This wasn't the way it was supposed to turn out. This was supposed to be a national revival. This was a time of turning back to God. And now he becomes a victim. And the Bible says he began to be filled with fear and he ran and he ran and he ran 115 miles away to a little town called Beersheba. And there he began to be depressed I want to look at three ways how to be rescued from drowning and depression. And, and I just want to look at them briefly. And number one is overcome drowning by refusing to cave under pressure. I like what 1 Kings 19, 1 and 4 says. I want to read it to you. It says, when Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah, may the God strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Watch that. He left his servant there. Then he went on alone. Watch that. Into the wilderness, traveling all day, he sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors who have already died. Sometimes life can be fatal. Everything in life we expect it to be can turn upside down. 
Life is full of ups and downs. I've found that. You can count on it. Sometimes life will lift you and encourage you, and sometimes it'll grab you and pull you to the basement of life. After every down, there is an up, and after every up, there is a down. Life is not just one long joy that gets better and better. If you've lived long enough, you've come to realize that there are mountain experiences and valley experiences. And may I say there are deep waters that we can be thrown into. And in this case, Elisha was thrown out into the deep sea with no land in sight, and he was thrashing and fighting for his own survival. He fell into a place of hopelessness and despair. Our lives cannot stay at a constant emotional high. There are downs after ups. When we are depressed, we tend to picture ourselves drowning in a wide open sea. But we've got to remember, we can be rescued. This too can come to pass. And when we begin a struggle with depression, we should constantly remind ourselves in this fact that as the psalmist says, weeping may endure for a night, but it is joy that comes in the morning. And all God's people said, May I say this, depression will not always last forever. It will come to pass. You'll get through it. A joyful morning will dawn. We just cannot cave under the pressure of the negative circumstances that really beat us up in life. Just like I was going down and my body was riddled with that pain, with that cold, icy cold water like knives going through me and seeming to paralyze my limbs. I remember that feeling. I cannot give up. I cannot cave into the pressure. I've got to go forward, which brings me to my second point, overcome drowning by fighting despite disappointment. 1 Kings 19, 7 and 8. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, Get up and eat some more. That's my life verse. <laughs> Get up and eat some more. When I'm down and depressed, I'm like, God says, Eat some more. I'm like, Thank you, Lord. I can take care of that. Best medicine. Never mind. Get up and eat some more, and the journey ahead will be much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God, a great destination to go. Drowning in depression has a way to break us down physically and mentally. It could take us off course. Nothing is more disappointing than watching our expectations dissolve before us. I said this many a time. Sometimes I get, feel like getting on a plane and I'm heading towards Switzerland and all of a sudden I find myself in Bangladesh. Sometimes you think destinations are going to be different and sometimes we expect life to be great and marvelous and we find ourselves in places that, man, I didn't think life would turn out this way. And we become disappointed. The rigorous path of life has a way to change and humble all of us. Elijah's was a national revival. Ahab saw the fire. Jezebel needed to see the fire. And Jezebel, he could see her now repenting. Oh, Lord, forgive us of our sins. And, and a great sweeping change over Israel. But that wasn't the case. His expectations crashed and burned after he realized the miracle of Mount Carmel did not accomplish what he thought it would change. 
Queen Mother Jezebel didn't fall to her knees repenting of her rebellion. In fact, the opposite happened. She signed a death warrant out on him. To Elijah, this action on Mount Carmel proved to be useless and rendered this miracle nothing more than a failure. That's what, that's what Elijah began to feel. My whole ministry is a failure. All that that took place on Mount Carmel just was for nothing. All the prayers and work and all the fire coming from heaven, all of that is negated. He failed to see God's plan in the disappointment because of his lofty expectation that blurred out God's mind and God's will. And I have learned this. I'm learning this now as a pastor. I have to be careful not to rule God out when it seems like our situations are a failure. Because I have learned this, that God has a plan through every storm, and in the end, he will unveil his glory and his prized workmanship. That's why I love that song, I Praise You in the Storm. Don't you love that song? I love that song. You see, we need the grace to surrender our expectations to the Lord and fight the fierce pull of depression that wants to bring us to the place to give up. And we need to let God work out his plan in our lives. And when we surrender to the Lord God of heaven, we then can find grace to move on. Now listen carefully. God is sovereign. He is great. He will do what deems best for his glory. And I might have a plan, and I might have a, a way that I think God should. But let me tell you something. God over always overrules our plans and our desires because his way, his way is always the best way. Give him glory in the house of God. Always best. And when we get to heaven, we're going to get before the Lord and God's going to say, now, I'm going to unveil. Now, you had to live it by faith on earth, but I'm going to unveil to you why I did what I did because it is ultimately for his glory and for our praise for him. You see, when things don't turn out the way we expect them to turn out, it creates a serious disappointment that can throw us into a deep sea without any sight of deliverance or any sight of land. A place of despair. We have to learn to accept the things we cannot change and allow God to work through the unthinkable to help us to become the believer that he wants us to become. We must move on. We must resist the pull of depression. We must speak words of faith to ourselves. I just had that little talk this week, right, Kim? We must fight we must struggle to keep above the rough waters. We must keep kicking. We got to keep on swimming because there is a God in heaven and there is an ultimate plan that is being followed through. We must trust him no matter what the cost. I love the serenity prayer. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. You see, refusing to quit in the face of false expectations and disappointments will give us the courage and strength to move beyond our deepest disappointments. We've got to move on from the sad and dis disappointing situations that strive to hold us under the waters 
of destruction. Our unresolved disappointments can become our greatest strongholds in life, but keeping focused on God's plan and God's work in our life can be our biggest relief. I like what Isaiah 26, 3, listen carefully to this. This will help you. It helps me. I say it all the time to myself. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace. You just got to get your eyes on Jesus. And then number three, and then I'm through, and all God's people said, thank you, Lord. Number three, overcome drowning by reaching up for help. Overcome drowning by reaching up for help. 1 Kings 19, 19 and 21. So Elijah went out and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat. And that's what God told Elijah, go get a helper. You have no business going out in that wilderness alone. You got no business of being isolated and pulling yourself under a dark place. You have no business doing things like that. You need a friend. You need someone that you hook up with. Can you look to, your, to the person sitting next to you and say, will you be my friend? Would you do that? Oh, come on. Some of you are like, mm, I'm doing this by myself. I'm doing this by myself. Mm-hmm. There's someone behind you that needs a friend. Would you turn around and say, I'll be your friend? Reach out and shake their hand and say, I'll be your friend. Come on. Somebody just needs a hug this morning. Just preach, preacher. Stop meddling. I don't want to be nobody's friend. That's how Elijah was. He went alone in the wilderness. The Bible says, if you read on in the story of chapter 19, that when, when Jezebel did not fall to her knees and go, oh, he decided he left his servant. Bad mistake. And he went alone in the wilderness, isolated himself. And he sank in a depressed state. The Bible says in 19 and 21, so Elijah went and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, plowing a field. And there were 12 teams of oxen in the field. And Elisha, he was a farmer, he was plowing with the 12th team. Elijah went over to him and threw his cloak across his shoulder. In other words, claiming him as a friend. Elisha left the oxen standing there, ran after Elijah. And he said, this is what Elisha said, I will go with you. (laughs) Not like that. God knew Elijah needed a companion, a friend, and a loyal support in his ministry. Thank God for friends. Elijah learned a valuable lesson. There's a danger of walking alone. There's safety in numbers. God knows how a friend can help us in a time of hardship. When we start to drown in depression and when we become discouraged, the first thing we tend to do is to get alone And that is usually the worst thing we can do. Loneliness is one of the greatest contributions to depression. And when we draw into a shell and cut ourselves off from others, we naturally begin to feast on self-pity. Oh, woe is me. Life is bad. God hates me. God doesn't like me. What did I do wrong in my life? This is one of the number one reasons that Hebrews 10.25 encourages us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. You need church. I heard a song the other day. It says, I want to go to church. It was a praise song. I'm like, oh, I like that song. I want to go to church. Sometimes I'm like, 
I'm going through a deep trial. I'm like, I need church every day. You know, I, I, I need church. I, I love to come to church. You know why? Because when I go home after Sunday service, I'm, I'm lifted up. I get more hugs. I love hugs. I'm a hugger. You know, I love it when people hug me. It's wonderful to be around God's people, to, to allow them to lift you up, to say, I'm praying for you. And, and when you're up, maybe I'm down, you pull me up. And when you're down and I'm up, I can pull you. It all balances out in the household of faith. Love church. God didn't design us to live like hermits in a cave. Life works best for us when we live in friendship, fellowship, and community. That's why the church is called the body of Christ. It's very important because that is where we are drawn together in love and mutual encouragement. We got to find Christian friends so they can minister to us. They can encourage you, lift you up, pray for you, not judge you, not condemn you, but just come alongside when we falter and we fail. Galatians 6.2, Pastor Brad just preached about this a couple weeks ago. Bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Idleness breeds despair. Sitting alone in a cave with nothing to do but focusing on our problems only magnifies despair. Elijah was drowning in this text. So God got him out of the cave. You see, our emotions are rebellious at times. They won't take orders. They easily ignore commands such as stop being so angry or, or don't feel so sad or, or be happy. It is difficult, if not impossible, to control our emotions. They kind of have a life of their own. But we can control our bodies and we can force our bodies to do something that needs doing and we can have the effect of making us feel better such as on Sunday morning when we had a rough week. The last thing we want to do is get in the shower and get dressed and go to church. And our bodies, our emotions say, I don't feel like hearing from Pastor Tim. I don't feel like smiling around God's people. I, but you just tell your emotions, it doesn't matter what you feel. This carcass is going to church. Amen? <laughs> Amen. Give the Lord a hand. Amen? <laughs> Sometime to overcome, we have got to reach up to not only to God, but to others. This morning, God doesn't want us to drown in depression. The fact of the matter is, God has the power to pull you out of your ditch this morning. Look to your neighbor and say, I'm getting out. Can you do that? I'm getting out. I'm getting out. God is the great lifter. He's going to lift you. I'm going to try first, and if I can't do it, God will. Drowning. There are some people who drown, and they get so far down, they think the only way out is to take their life. The fact of the matter is, you've got to refuse to cave to pressure. Of depression. Don't go there. Don't, under the pool of depression, refuse the cave. I refuse to give in to this. I'm not going to cave. There's a life that God wants me to live yet. Secondly, we got to pray and ask God to overcome drowning by readjusting our expectations and asking God to help us. And thirdly, 
I'm going to reach out for help. Reach out. Don't go alone. Don't do it alone. You've did it your way long enough. Live a joy-filled life, even in the midst of great intense disappointment and pain. God will help us. And one day, we're going to lay all of our burdens down. <laughs> and we're going to hear him call our name, just like he called Ann's name this week. And he's going to call us and say, hey, Tim, it's time to go. And I'm going to put this little chubby hand right in the hands of Jesus. And he's going to say, let's go. I'm going to step out of all of this grief. I'm going to step out of all this struggle. I'm going to step out of all this battle. And I'm going to be home free. And listen to this. In the presence of the Lord, listen carefully. In the presence of the Lord, there's the fullness, fullness of joy. In this world, I've had a little bit of joy here and a little bit of joy there. But when I get to heaven, depression will be gone. I will live in a perfect state of the fullness of joy, the fullness of peace. Honey, that's living. Amen? No taxes, no power bills, no hospitals, no doctors, no tears, no glasses, no metal hips. <laughs> Amen? And I'm going to run like I've never run before the streets of heaven. I wobble in this world, but wait till you see me in heaven. I'm going to do a cartwheel for you like you've never seen before. <laughs> Glory to God. <laughs> it's not over. It's not over. We are heading to a glorious place. Look up. Look up. Don't drown in depression. Don't drown. Don't cave. Don't give up. Find a friend. Pull, fight, scratch, kick, do what you got to do. But I'm going to rise above it. And I'm going to be victorious because of what Christ has done for me. Let's pray. Let's pray. If you're here today and you're saying, preacher, every head bowed and every eye closed.